You'll remember that Canto 14 ends with Virgil lamenting that humanity doesn't turn its eyes upwards and see the light of the turning wheels, which is constantly there to draw them towards the good things of the divine light. And Canto 15 begins with reflections on the heavens. Um, it's one of these moments where Dante the poet tells you what time of day it now is. It's actually three hours before sunset, and so they're walking now towards the western sun and the shadows are lengthening. But he tells you the time by reflecting on how there's three hours of the morning after sunrise that somehow mirror three hours before sunset in the evening. He talks too about how Italy, on the other side of the um, Earth's globe, is in night time. So you get this sort of sense of not just pinpointing a moment in time, as if time is this linear thing that just ticks away like the sun, but that the time in one moment of the day reflects a time in another moment of the day, reflects uh, different times of day on other parts of the globe. We're getting a sense of how time has this cosmic aspect, um, that just because you're in one moment of time doesn't mean that you're disconnected from other moments of time. And I think this elaboration, this meditation on time, even as you're telling the time, sets up the mood of this canto, which is going to be a lot about seeing more deeply into things, not just seeing the surface, seeing reflection, seeing mirroring, seeing depth, and even more particularly, how you get that kind of sight, because it's to do with the letting go of envy and the opening up of the mind to generosity. You might say that now on Mount Purgatory, it's becoming very clear that the reason why uh, vices are so debilitating and virtues um, are so desirable is not really for moral reasons, although that is definitely a sort of fruit of having the right virtues. The deepest reason for longing for them and for working on your vices is because then your perception dramatically increases. It opens the mind's eye by having the right kind of qualities of character. Um, roughly speaking, because what happens is that instead of clinging, holding on to things, wanting to possess things, coveting things that others have that you don't, um, rather than that attitude which is so constraining of life, um, it's essentially um, a narrowing um, an inwardness that's self-focused, uh, you might say, um, rather than being uh, constrained by that attitude towards life. Um, the easing of these vices, the opening of the virtues, enable you to see more and more of the life that is flowing around you, um, that's dramatically vital and active all around you. And that is an expansion of your own life. What happens after we've established the time but also something of the diaphanous nature of time as this superabundance begins to open up to us. What happens next is that there's reflection upon light, um, and Dante realises that his eyes are actually being distracted and slightly um, disturbed by a light that's actually brighter than the sun. 
and the sun's quite low in the sky, but he realises that there's a second sun, as he puts it, and he tries to shield his eyes from it because it's so bright, um, but it seems to reflect directly into his eyes. Um, he describes how science shows that a mirror will reflect a light at the angle um, that the light hits the mirror from. So it kind of, as it were, you can imagine it kind of, he's thinking of it getting underneath his eyes, even though he tries to shield his eyes with his hands um, from it. Um, and what this is about, I think, is that much as time takes on this kind of new richness, so to light takes on this new intensity when you start to live out of generosity of sight rather than uh, constrictions and constraining um, your experience of life. Um, and the metaphors here are of reflection, of affinity, um, you know, light draws light, um, of flow and dynamic movement. Um, this is, as you might, you might say, the beginnings, the very, very tentative beginnings of an outline of the physics of this super abundant life um, that Dante is getting a foretaste of now and is going to become more and more important as he rises higher. Turns out that the source of this new light is an angel. Um, it's the angel appearing at the end of the Terrace of Envy. And although it might seem like good news, you know, coming really very rapidly after all that very extended lament and sorrow in the previous canto, um, it's almost like Dante's saying, you know, really quite quickly, when you get the right attitude and bear um, the sense of grief of the way, about the way things have been, very quickly a new light can appear. Um, but in this moment for Dante the Pilgrim, it actually really quite disturbs him and he's frightened by this light that he can't control, that he can't screen out. Um, but Virgil says to him, you know, now it feels burdensome, but this is the light for which we're made, which your soul is made to enjoy. And if you can tolerate the worry now, the fright now, the sense that is this a burden, is this even really wanted now, you'll realise that um, its lightness, its light becomes lighter um, and um, it becomes more and more of a delight as well. And the rest of the canto is actually quite a detailed set of reflections upon how the mind's eye can open to this, well, it's a new light, but you might say it's actually seeing more of the true nature of light. Um, the light which we feel we're normally experiencing, say, when we see the sun, lovely though may it be, is just the beginning of the true light um, which it heralds, which it itself is just a reflection of. I think you can get a sense of this quite quickly actually um, if you don't get too hooked on the physics of light in the narrow scientific sense but think more about the phenomenology of light and um, this direct experience of things which um, I've been stressing before trying to make immediate contact with reality rather than approach it through the abstractions say of modern science you know, illuminating though they can be um, which is, say, what an artist of light will try to do. Um, when a great artist paints light, you don't just see, um, you know, rays reflecting at right angles or whatever it might be, according to the physics of optics. Um, you experience the fullness, the richness, the depth, 
the intensity, the vitality of the light. That's what the artist themselves sees and then captures um, using oils and paint. Um, it's that awakening which the canto is nudging us towards. As they follow the angel, um, they hear two things. First of all, they hear in Latin another beatitude, um, blessed are the merciful. Um, you know, I think this is an inward hearing. Dante will have been very familiar with those words, with the words of the Beatitude. He's hearing them with a clarity that he'd never experienced before. You know, this is not just the Beatitudes as a kind of moral burden. Um, this is the Beatitudes as telling you the truth of perception, um, that the merciful, those who can forgive everything that happens, um, have that generosity of heart. They are the ones that share in the blessed state of heaven, the bliss, the beatitude of heaven. And then he hears, interestingly, some words in Italian. So I think intimating that he's moving beyond just the liturgical or the biblical words, which he would have been very familiar with in Latin. He hears the Italian for rejoice you who conquer. And it's not quite clear um, what these words refer to. They may allude half to a biblical expression like, you know, rejoice when you defeat the things of this world, um, but it's not a direct quotation. And, you know, my sense is this is Dante um, moving into new language, moving into new phrases, having the audacity, or is it actually a form of generosity too, to use his gift to forge a new spiritual text, the Divine Comedy itself, which is his best effort, divinely inspired, to speak of these tremendous new things. The angel then disappears, having shown them the way for now, and also, of course, sparked a new yearning inside them. And Dante turns to Virgil and asks him about something which they'd heard in the previous canto about how there can be a kind of sharing in life that doesn't diminish what is shared, um, but actually in the sharing, what's shared grows more and more. He's not understand, understood this and so asks Virgil about it. And Virgil begins to explain what this is saying. He describes how envy pumps hard at the bellows of the human heart. That is the dynamic that works normally on Earth. But what you can do is take a step back from that vice and ask yourself, what do you love? And are the things that you can love, that the more they're loved, the more the becomes of what's loved? And further, as that is itself shared, it doesn't diminish, but actually increases. Now this whets Dante's appetite even more. Um, he says, I'm longing to know even more now what you're talking about, dear teacher. And so Virgil unpacks it further. What Virgil describes is actually a sketch of a whole new economy, a whole new way of life, which, like our economy, is focused on growth. But it's growth of a different kind that doesn't consume what it desires but actually amplifies and extends what it desires. Now, an obvious example of that is true love, 
as opposed to envious possession, because true love, like light, the more there is of it, the more that there is to go round. Um, you know, a parent who has a first child, then a second child, then a third child, a fourth child, a fifth child, a sixth child, finds only that love increases so they can give all their love to all their children. Um, it's a bit like the nature of infinity, is an analogy that I sometimes think about, that if you think about, um, say, the infinity, the set of odd numbers, 1, 3, 5, 7, 9, 11, and so on, now that goes on to infinity, so you'd think, my goodness, you know, that's a pretty full set as it is. But then, of course, you can add the even numbers, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, um, it's another infinity that fits inside the first infinity um, of all the natural numbers. And infinite sets are like that, um, that you can find another set that too is superabundant, and yet there's plenty of space for in it, for it within the superabundance of the other infinite sets that you've seen. Um, and love, I think, very much has the dynamic like that. Another kind of... Um, growth that is intimated here now um, is the desire for knowledge itself. Again, a desire for knowledge for its own sake as opposed to the knowledge that is used to control or exploit. Um, that knowledge grows and grows and grows. Um, and you get that, you know, in the best side of science, where the science is discovered and then shared. Um, the more people know it and the more there is to discover. Um, it doesn't diminish as it's shared around. And then there's a third kind of growth, which Virgil nods towards now as well, um, which is um, the growth of imitating divine life, divine light. Um, you know, the art of poetry, say, but maybe other kinds of art as well, um, that when they these arts try to capture something of divine life, divine light, like Dante's Divine Comedy itself, they too only amplify, increase the flow, generate more reflections, more insights. It's a kind of desire that leads to more growth, but where the thing itself grows at the same time and isn't diminished, it can be shared around. And then the fourth element, if you've got sort of love itself, knowledge itself, art itself, the fourth element that can be part of this different kind of economy is life itself. If life is understood to be the effort gradually to work through these vices, like on Mount Purgatory, and to realign the character to divine life through developing the virtues like generosity, that too can be a kind of life which just grows and grows and grows and expands and expands and expands without consuming other lives around it. Um, so life itself, the journey of life itself, you might say, when it's un understood to be about self-transformation rather than, say, accumulation, that too can be part of this radically new way of life where the human desire for more and more and more can be satisfied not by trying to seek more and more material stuff, which of course eats the material world in the process, but realises there's a vertical, a spiritual expansiveness to life, that the more it's desired, the more it's understood, the more there is not only to desire and understand, but also to share around. Virgil concludes his outline by saying, look Dante, you're beginning to get a sense of this, 
because two P's have been removed from your forehead. Um, the P that stood for pride, the P that now stands for envy. Um, Dante hadn't even realised that this second angel had wiped another P away from his forehead. Um, and in fact, he says that, Dante the Pilgrim says that he forgot to thank Virgil for pointing out this out to him. Um, partly because I think Virgil mentions the name of Beatrice once more. Virgil says, look, if you're just beginning to get this new economy, this new growth, this new way of life here now, then Beatrice um, will show you it in its entirety, in its fullness. And of course, just the mention of the name Beatrice is quite inclined to throw Dante off balance. So he forgets to thank Virgil for explaining these things to him. And what happens instead is that he falls into an ecstasy. He gets caught up in a kind of rapture of this vision, which of course is often what happens when you get a glimpse of a whole new aspect of life that you didn't have any sense of before. It's like a kind of eruption of energy that momentarily, well, as is often said, and in fact, as is said here, can make it seem like you're drunk. Um, you know, this is in the Gospels as well as in the Divine Comedy, and it's in many descriptions of kind of peak experiences where people fall into what looks from the outside like a drunken stupor, even as they're overwhelmed and flooded by a new rapturous vision. And what Dante sees in his vision, though, is really interesting because whilst it's glorious, it's also you know quite tricky. Um, he sees three moments where generosity, you might say, is tested. So the first moment he sees is when Mary and Joseph take the young Jesus to the temple at the age of 12, and Jesus um, gets lost because he is lost in the, um, the wisdom um, of the temple elders, talking with them, conversing with them. Um, he's so caught up in that superabundance that he forgets to report to his parents, and three days later, Mary and Joseph finally find him and said, say, you know, didn't you care for us? We were distressed. Um, we thought we'd lost you. Um, and, and Jesus says, you know, didn't you know I would be well, in my father's house enjoying this wisdom? And it's quite harsh because, you know, Mary and Joseph have got a point. They're the parents of this still quite young lad. Um, but what the story tells Dante is that even that apparently justified concern, anxiety, possessiveness for, of the parent for a child, in a way has got to be let go of if this new kind of superabundant generosity, um, in this case of divine wisdom, is to be really appreciated. Um, it's a whole new level. Um, you know, it reminds me of the difficult sayings of Jesus in the Gospel, like, you know, let the dead bury the dead. Um, I've come to separate father from son. Um, you know, these phrases which, when heard into moral terms, seem impossible, actually, and objectionable. But when they're about this divine perception, they do take on a new element. And they, at very least, speak of the struggle that we human beings have to undergo to step into this new world. We must, you might say, let go of things that even seem good um, and worthwhile, even things that seem loving, like an anxiety a parent would have for a lost child, if we're really to enter this new heavenly realm. 
The second example he sees in his ecstasy um, features um, the Greek um, benign leader called Pisistratus. Um, and there was a well-remembered story about how one day his daughter had been embraced by a suitor and Pisistratus's wife had become offended because the parents hadn't given permission for the suitor to embrace their child. Um, and Pisistratus says to his wife, look, when you see love, you've got to welcome love. Um, as it were, it overwrites all our offence, all our possessiveness, um, all the mores which we think as upstanding Athenians we should live by. Um, so again, it's quite tough. You know, why wouldn't a parent be worried about an encroaching suitor and be worried about what this might say about their family um, had they been offend, you know, offended against. Um, but Pisistratus in this instance is seen as having his eyes on this higher love which he's able to welcome even as earthly concerns would tell him to resist it. And then the third vision which Dante sees in his ecstasy um, is the vision of St Stephen, the first martyr, being killed by stoning, um, recorded in the Acts of the Apostles. And what's very remarkable about, about this story is that even as the hate and loathing and violence is being literally hurled at Stephen as they hurl the rocks at him and his body is tortured and broken, he has his eyes fixed on the vision of heaven and asks that his tormentors and murderers be forgiven. That is how far this sight can go, that it can eclipse even the worst that this earth can throw at you, um, if you have the eyes to see. So one of the things that all this says is that although Dante is describing being drawn up into a new vision of life, it's not remotely straightforward to participate in that life. Um, he has felt frightened when he saw the angel, um, he realises that it's about wrestling with his own vices, that, you know, envy is easily named at a vice, but even now about wrestling with things that, by this world's judgment, seem good things to have, like concern for a child, like requiring justice against murderers. All that must be surpassed if um, this new vision is to become aligned with the, the individual, individual is really to know it. Dante remarks that like, it's even going to seem like a set of errors to some people, um, but these errors are actually truths. That is the discernment that's required. And as he comes out of his ecstasy, um, Virgil says, you know, what's wrong? You look like you're drunk. Um, and Dante says, but I've been seeing tremendous things. And Virgil says, yes, I know. Um, they're sharing um, minds, again, at this point, this kind of telepathy. Um, some commentators wonder whether Virgil actually didn't know what was going on in Dante's mind and is being defensive at this point. Um, but, you know, my sense is that Virgil, too, is sharing in the divine sight and so would have known what was going on in Dante's mind, even if Dante's visions were personal to him. Um, he would have still known that something of this new tremendousness was being shown to him. And Virgil says to Dante, look, you must not get hooked on the lovely drunkenness of these ecstatic states, um, you know, the exceptional quality of these peak experiences, um, the trip itself. The point is they open up something to you that then can become part and parcel of your life. 
so you must be able to walk steadily through life even with this sight not as it were be just seeking the next pleasurable experience um, you know the great danger both of spiritual experience and of psychedelic experience that you get hooked on um, the ecstasy itself rather than realizing that it's just an invitation to grow into a new life to work on your vices in order that new characteristics can open you up more and more and more to participate in this flow, in this affinity, in this love, in this growth that just grows and grows as you grow into it. Dante says that one of the ways that you can judge that your approach to Nyssa right is that as well as the new vision, you also have a flow of peace um, that um, sort of, as it were, rises within you as well from the eternal fountain. Um, so whilst there can be these moments of ecstasy, um, the lasting fruit of it um, is steadily living in this new light with these new um, capacities, foresight, um, which you know because the individual does actually become virtuous, they become generous, they become um, able to kiss the joy as it flies. But the canto earn, uh, ends with a twist um, and remember we're still in purgatory, you know, we've as it were, caught a glimpse of paradise and learned something of its dynamics here in this canto. But we're still on purgatory. There's still quite a long way to go. Um, the angel has said it will get easier from now, but you've still got to walk the walk as well as talk the talk. And the canto ends with a dark cloud suddenly growing before them. Um, there's a slight airlessness that descends upon them. And we wonder quite what they're going to encounter next. It's actually going to be one of the darkest aspects of their experience in purgatory. But for now, at least, it reminds us that we are in a state of mind that can get these glimpses, but also know and be plunged into darkness. And I guess underlying that part of the effort is to hold on to the glimpses, not so as to want them to happen again and again and again, as if to lift us out of the darkness of this world, um, but to stay in the darkness of this world, but develop the inner sight that can still see the light, which Dante has been given such a lovely intimation of in this canto, and Virgil has explained some of its dynamics.